writing you to remind you that we should love one another. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, and he comes with my own heart. I felt the necessity to write you, appealing that you contend earnestly. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The exiles of Israel will return, and the Lord himself will be king. Um, we're so glad you're here with us. You, you, you saw the announcements. Day camp is going on. It's happening. Amazing things are happening. We, we have kids committing their lives to Christ. It's just a fun time to be around here. But I will give you one caveat. If you're serving in the children's area or have any reason to go down to the kitchen area, typically at the end of the day, if you walk down by the gym, it smells like a middle school boy's locker room. So um, just be aware of that if you have any reason to go down near the gym during the week. But that's, that's part of the sacrifice we make, right? Um, hey, we're going to look at Jude today, the letter of Jude. So if you don't mind, would you stand with me and we're going to read uh, some verses here. We're going to read the first three verses and then we're going to read uh, verses 24 and 25. So if you have your Bible with you, take it out and you can follow along with me. It starts with this in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for this, this letter, this word from Jude that, that opens our eyes to what it means to contend to the faith, for what it means to stand in your grace fully and completely. We just ask that you'd bless this time and let your truth settle on our hearts and let anything that's not the fullness of that truth just fall to the ground. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so we're going to put a picture up on the screen. This is a bridge that was built in our hometown of Savannah, Georgia. It was being built in 2012 at the cost of $23 million. Do you notice anything about it? So if you look at the side girders, you can see that the right side is significantly higher than the left side. That's a little bit of a problem for cars going 100 kilometers an hour over a bridge. Here's a quote from a news story about this situation. Oh yeah, there is a concern on that. But what I was told, also, it was not going to hold up the completion of the bridge, said Pete Lakaikis, Chatham County Commission Chairman. Doesn't that quote sound really dismissive of what seems like a really major issue? Oh yeah, there's a bit of a concern on that. 
It was like a foot and a half difference. There was absolutely no way this bridge was going to be functional. And in a sense, the letter of Jude is a bridge. Okay, it's a bridge of grace between God and believers. The ones that Jude called in his greeting, uh, called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. His intention is in this letter is to make sure that our response to God's grace doesn't leave us short or misaligned with God's true grace. In essence, he wants to make sure that the bridge is level. He does that by offering three components that we need to respond to if we're going to live a life aligned with God's true grace. The first thing he offers is an invitation. And then he invites us into an action. And then he shows us the process to follow. And all of this leads to the ultimate outcome of a grace-empowered life in the kingdom of God. So let's begin with a brief overview of the letter of Jude. Now, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we put out a Bible study. It's been online. It's on the website. It was at the Welcome uh, Center. And so hopefully you've been using that as you've studied these books. But if you've been using it, this, is gonna, this next few minutes is going to feel kind of familiar to you. So first thing we got to do when we look at a letter is consider who the author is, right? And so Jude is widely accepted as the author, partly because he said, I wrote it. And then he was, Jude was the brother of James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And both James and Jude were the half-brothers of Jesus, and they were sons of Mary. So they grew up with Jesus. We know from the Gospels that they didn't really believe in Jesus until after his resurrection. And so here we have Jude, the brother of Jesus, writing this letter. He wrote this sometime between probably the mid-60s AD and 80 AD. Now, that's important to note, because if you know the history of Israel and Palestine at that time, there was a lot of stuff going on. And so that helps us see that this was written in a time of deep political turmoil, where there was religious problems, and the social climate in and around Israel was chaos. So in 70 AD, the Romans seized Jerusalem. They had enough. They were done. They'd been occupying Israel for for a long, long time. They said, enough of this. We're going to put an end to it. So they seized Jerusalem. And they burned down the temple. And so Jude was written sometime around this period in history when there was a great struggle and oppression and attack on the Jewish people in Israel. And here's the thing. The early church was probably feeling some of this same stuff. And so That helps us understand the tone of Jude's letter. And when we read Jude's letter, what we see is some really strong military language around the judgment of sin and about standing against false teachers. And so the audience of Jude's letter is probably Jewish believers in Christ. So a lot of the language that's in there, a lot of the history that's happening at this point gives us the tone of his letter. Now the key verse in Jude is verse three. Listen to this, beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so that's the key verse. This idea that Jude's putting forward is saying, hey, I'm writing to you so that you will contend for the faith. And the theme of this letter is all around these false teachers who were um, coming into the church and preaching a grace that was distorted. They were particularly teaching that God's grace, because God is gracious, you just do what you want. 
Go live how you're going to live because grace has come, the law can go away, and so we don't have to obey anything. And this is what Jude refers to as a perverted grace. And so that's the setup behind everything that's going to happen and we're going to pull out of this letter of Jude. And so in the first two verses, we get his greeting, right? And his greeting includes a desire for mercy, peace, and love to be multiplied among the believers. And this is important to note because mercy and peace in the Old Testament writings, many of the Old Testament writings put mercy and peace together. So there's a blessing in the Old Testament oftentimes. May mercy and peace be yours. Well, Jude, by adding love to this, is making this a uniquely Christian letter because he brought the Old Testament idea of mercy and peace be yours in God and added love to it. And he's giving us a picture of God's grace in this. So God's grace produces mercy, peace, and love in those who believe in him. And so that's what's coming forth in the greeting here. Then we get to verse three. The, the, the theme of this letter is these three, uh, four words, contend for the faith, contend for the faith. Now we're gonna explore a little bit more deeply in a bit what it means to contend for the faith, but I wanna continue walking through this letter kind of verse by verse. So then verse four gives us the problem. In verse four, Jude says, hey, this is why I'm writing to you. Here's the problem that's happening. And that problem is a movement that was coming into the church. It's a big word here. It's called antinomianism. Basically what it said is Christians are freed by grace. Therefore, you don't need to obey God's law. Because of God's grace, go do what you wanna, you're gonna do. And it's a perversion of God's grace and it made sanctification absolutely irrelevant. So when people showed up in the early church saying, hey, God is gracious, you don't need to change. What they did was essentially remove sanctification out of the message of Jesus and said, live how you're gonna live because God's obligated by his grace to accept you no matter what. And so then Jude, after this, he presents the problem. Then he goes into some Old Testament illustrations that, that show that Jesus is both the redeemer and the judge of mankind. And so he walks through some Old Testament history here. He even goes so far as to say that those who pervert grace are moving towards the exact same judgment that the people in Sodom and Gomorrah experienced. And then he talks about these teachers that pervert grace as being a different variety of empty things. There's just nothing in them. He calls them waterless clouds and fruitless trees and wild waves and wandering stars. Basically, he's saying there's no fruit in their teachings. In short, the best way to discern if someone is teaching truth is to look at the fruit of their lives. Then he shifts to something that's a little more unsettling. He actually talks about the fruit that does come from these false teachers. And he points out that the fruit of these false teachers is grumblers and malcontents and people that are led by their own sinful desires and loudmouth boasters and those who play favorites to get what they want. And so that reminds me of Jesus' teaching about the good tree and the good fruit and the bad tree and the bad fruit in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. 
Now, so this is the setup that Jude is leading us into. Then he gets to a section in this letter where, this is interesting to me, I don't know why it is, but he quotes two non-biblical sources. He, he quotes a writing called the Testament of Moses, and then he quotes a writing called the Book of Enoch, both of which were rejected from the canon of Scripture, but Jude still found some truth in them, some illustration in them that reflected God's true grace and he quoted them in this letter. Now, I don't know why that's interesting to me, but that's just free knowledge. You guys can have that for no charge. Then we get to verse 17. And, and after all this call to arms to contend for the faith and this talk of judgment and warnings about the church being misled and, and warnings about grace being distorted, Jude drops this big butt in there. He reminds the believers that the apostles of Jesus had already told them that all of this was coming. He reminds the believers that they heard this was going to be from the apostles. And I'm going to stop there because we're going to go uh, back to verses 20 through 25 a little more deeply in a moment. But hopefully this kind of brief walk through the letter of Jude gives you a context to understand what we're going to walk through in contending for the faith. Hopefully it gives you a background that helps us respond to the truth of this letter in practical ways for our lives today. And so as I said, Jude is building a bridge between the grace of God that is true and pure and eternal and the only wise and acceptable response to God's grace. So on the one side, God's bridge of grace is coming towards us. Jude is helping us find a footing to start from from our side to respond to God's grace in the way that's wise and appropriate. And that response to God's grace for us is rooted in faith. And so faith, remember, is living as if what you say is true is actually true. True faith goes beyond just simply a confession. It goes beyond just a profession. Actually, it goes into a lifestyle. If I have faith in what I say, then I will live as if it's true. And Jude makes it clear that the bridge of true grace always leads to the same spot. We're gonna show you that spot in just a minute. But the first thing we have to deal with is the invitation of true grace. And that invitation is in verse two, back to the greeting in this letter. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So again, the unique grace of God definitely includes these old Jewish ideas of mercy and peace, of shalom. But the true grace of God is a uniquely Christian concept that has love in it. Jesus is the manifest, manifestation of God's love for humanity. Therefore, God's grace that leads to mercy and peace must have him in it. Which is why Jude added love to his greeting. This fulfills the promise of God's mercy and peace. Jesus, the love of God in the flesh is the fulfillment of God's promise of mercy and peace, is the fulfillment of God's present grace. Now, the other thing you need to understand in this greeting is the you in this greeting is plural, it's not singular. 
Jude sees God's grace as something that is manifest in community. That's the invitation in this greeting from Jude. The invitation is to be part of a community of believers that multiplies mercy, peace, and love that multiplies the grace of God. So that's the invitation for us. Now on us, the response to God's grace is do I want to accept that? Do I want to be a part of a community that multiplies God's grace, that's rooted in mercy and peace and love? That's a decision that each of us make individually. But if we decide that's what we want, know this. We have to respond to grace in community. We cannot stand in grace on our own. Which leads to the next thing, the action. And so the action that Jude gives us in verse three is to contend for the faith. And I'm about to say something that a lot of Christians need to hear and many of us don't want to. But he said contend for the faith. He didn't say be contentious for the faith. There's a big difference, big difference. We're not called to arguments and disagreements. In fact, in verse 19, he points out that divisions are a product of false teachers. If someone is grumbling, if someone is a malcontent or creating divisions in the body of Christ, they are not contending for the faith. In fact, according to Jude, they may actually be teaching a perverted grace. See, true contending for the faith is living in God's grace in your life, not judging everyone else's life to see if they're living in God's grace. I can contend for the faith in my life. I cannot contend for the faith in your life. Contending for the faith then is dying to self so that I live out of God's grace. It's pressing towards a life that's lived through his power and for his glory. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, catch this, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul is recognizing that grace is active and that we must respond to grace with action. Grace will produce an action in us and that action is to contend for the faith by living in and by the grace of God, which is to participate in God's grace that transforms us. So the action that Jude says you must step into is this action of contending for the faith. We have this invitation in verse two to live fully aligned with God's grace, which is mercy, peace, and love in the community of believers. And then we have this action that we have to choose to take of contending for the faith, which is responding to God's grace by participating with him in his work in us and also out in the world. Now listen, we are not working to get grace. We are working because we have been given grace. Understand that clearly. Paul's words around grace and his work aren't saying I did all these things so that God would be obligated to give me grace. He's saying, no, I'm doing these things because I've been given grace. Listen to the way he puts it in 2 Corinthians 9, verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You've been given grace to do every good work. You are not doing every good work to earn grace. It goes back to James, Jude's brother. Show me your faith. I'll show you my works. And so understand that clearly. We are not saying we're going to go out and work for God's grace, but what we are saying is we will be the busiest people in this city because we have been given God's grace. We will be the ones who work harder, as Paul says he was, because we've been given God's grace. And in that working, others will see it and they'll taste it. And in that action of responding to grace, we will be people who are contending for the faith. And so that's the invitation and that's the response. Now we need to look at the process of participating with grace that Jude lays out for us. So if you have your Bible, look down to verse 20. We're gonna go through these three verses. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So here's the question. This is the process Jude gives us to live a life of action contending for the faith so that we can accept the invitation to live in the grace of God in community. And so here are the questions that follow. Is your life focused around building yourself up in the faith? Or are you building up faith with just whatever's left over from your day? Is it a focus or is it an afterthought? Are your prayers led and guided into God's will by the Holy Spirit? Or are your prayers more just what happens after you've exhausted all your own strength and couldn't make it happen on your own? Is love of God the focal point of your thoughts and your desires throughout the day? Or do you find yourself in a situation where other loves creep in and push God out of that top spot? Do you live a life of hope because you know Jesus is pouring out mercy in every single situation? Or are you just trying to muddle through until things just become more bearable? See, if this is how we contend for the faith, then we will be perfectly aligned with God's grace when we build our faith up, when we pray in the Holy Spirit, when we keep ourselves in God's love, when we look to Jesus for our hope and mercy rather than relying on ourselves. And that's the process. It's really a simple process. You want to contend for the faith? You want to live a life of grace, of mercy and peace and love? Work on your faith. That's your building project. Not your retirement account. Not your image. Not your ego. Not your yard. There's nothing wrong with those things. But this is your top priority. You build up your faith. Spend time praying in the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? It means this. I go to God and say, God, align my prayers with your prayers for me. I go to Jesus and I think of Colossians 3. He is seated at the right hand of God. What is he doing there? He's praying for us. He's beseeching God for us. He's interceding on our behalf. So if I want to pray in the Holy Spirit, I go, Lord, 
align my prayers for me with your prayers for me. Let the whisper that's going into God's ear from your mouth be my prayer to you right now. Your will, God, not mine. If we want to contend for the faith, we have to keep ourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? It means that the primary focus of my heart and my mind and my soul is God's love for me in this moment. I will not let the circumstances of life, when it feels uncomfortable or bad or negative, call into question God's love for me. I will stand in it and say, though you slay me, Lord, I will trust you more. That's what it means to keep yourself in God's love. We're gonna contend for the faith. We continue to wait on the mercy of Jesus. What is that? It's simply this. In the storms, in the trials, in all of the bad stuff, I will look up and say, but I know you are there and I know you are coming for me. I don't need to fight this because I'm standing in this. That's what it means to contend for the faith. That's the action that Jude invites us to take. But he doesn't stop there. He says, if you're going to respond to this invitation to stand in God's true grace, to contend for the faith, I need to help you know how to respond to false teachings coming into the church as well. And so he names three groups that have been misled by false teachings. The first are the doubters. And these are believers who have genuine, legitimate questions they don't understand, but they want to know. And he tells us we have to be merciful to them. We have to mentor them. We have to walk with them. We have to build them up. We need to walk with them in God's grace and help them contend for the faith. He goes from the doubters to the burners. These are believers who are misaligned with God's grace. They're living out of a distorted view of it. They're the ones that look at the bridge and go, well, it's okay, we just speed up. It'll be all right, just speed up. And we have to help them see God's true grace by living into the kingdom of God ourselves and inviting them to do the same in their own lives. And then finally, he gets to the third group, the dangerous These are the people who have distorted God's true grace and are actually inviting others to do the exact same thing. And notice that Jude says that even this group should be met with mercy. So do you see in these responses, there's contending but not contentiousness? He lays out the three groups that have been influenced by these false teachers and nowhere does he say fight them. Nowhere does he say destroy them. Nowhere does he say humiliate and embarrass them. Each response is still mercy. But mercy's not acceptance. Mercy's not allowing these things to grow. This is what Warren, because this, this, this group, the dangerous, is the one that's most confusing to me in this letter. This is what Warren Wearsby says about how Jude instructs us to respond to the dangerous. Listen to this. The principle Jude was laying down was that stronger believers must never think they are beyond satanic influence. In short, be humble of spirit when you encounter false teachers. Remember that pride goes before the fall. We want to be constant learners, but we also have to be good discerners. I cannot discern what's true and what's real if my Bible is more of a paperweight 
than it is a lifestyle manual. We have to engage Scripture. We have to study Scripture if we're going to discern truth in all things. And so just to recap real quick, Jude offers an invitation in verse 2. Live in God's true grace. And then he encourages us in verse 3 to take action, contend for the faith. And then he gives us a process of how do we do that in verses 20 through 23. You build your faith up. You pray in the Holy Spirit. You, you keep your faith. You hope in Christ. And then we have the outcome of all of this in verse 25 that I told you we would come back to. Listen to this. This is the outcome. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. That is the ultimate outcome of contending for the faith, of being aligned with God's true grace. Contending for the faith, being aligned with God's true grace will always lead to Jesus being glorified. And so you want to know if someone's teaching true grace? Ask some questions. Who's being glorified here? If the one teaching is being glorified, it may not be true grace. Is it Jesus being glorified or is it a teacher? Or is it a political belief that's being glorified in this teaching? Or is it some cause? Or is it some group of people? Or is it a nation or a value or an idea that's being glorified? If what's being taught is not glorifying Jesus, it is not God's true grace. It is the same thing that Jude was standing against in his letter to the churches in Israel, to Jewish believers in Israel. If the teaching glorifies anyone or anything other than Jesus himself, then that teaching is perverted grace, period. And as a body, we want to live in true and perfect grace. We want to live in the reality of God's grace. As individuals, we have to accept the invitation of Jude to participate in multiplying mercy and peace and love in our church and in this community. And we have to take action in our personal lives. That action needs to be contending for the faith in our own hearts and minds and deeds. That action is intentionally growing in Christ by building our faith, by being a people of prayer, by keeping in God's love, and by living in the hope of Jesus, not in the hope of the world. And so we go back to our bridge. I think this is what Jude's saying to us. Hey, you got to understand this grace thing. You have to understand it. If you don't, your life is going to end up like this bridge. And when you hit the gap, it's going to be catastrophic. There will be nothing to catch you. You will fall into a place where only you have to rely on is yourself. And think about that. If you're like me, you're critically aware of the person who is least qualified to get you out of the problems that you're in is the one who got you there in the first place. I don't want to stand on my own. I can't. I'm not any good at running my life. So what do you need to do to align your life with God's grace? I know this. 
None of us want to be speeding along in the delusion of grace, in some false grace, in some poor teaching on grace, thinking that we're passively or comfortably passing over the waters and the troubles of life only to find that we had God's grace all wrong. That we had been misled by false ideas about grace. That we had stepped into twisted teachings about sin. Understanding and walking in grace are critical for anybody who desires to live their life in the kingdom of God. Contend for the faith. Verse 